You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a free $20 wager with your first deposit. Your winning season begins today. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining you the day after... Florida gets their first defeat of the season, 41-38 at the hands of the Texas A&M Aggies. And joining me as they do every Sunday is Nick De La Torre and Graham Hall. Guys, thanks for uh, hopping on here. And uh, I think we all hoped that we wouldn't be talking about a loss this early uh, for the Gator fans out there. Uh, but it is it is that way. Gators are 2-1 now on the season. Nick, you made the trip to College Station. Uh, how was the atmosphere there? I know a lot of the comments that uh, – we'll discuss it here too, but uh, – uh, Dan Mullen, right after one of his first comments, had to do with uh, the crowd there in College Station. But uh, all in all, you know, it, it all happened, and, and the Gators get their first defeat of the season. Yeah, you know, it wasn't as loud as I thought. The hundred eight thousand that they packed in there, uh, like Dan Mullen told me, I thought you know, hundred nine thousand people would be a little bit louder than that. Um, College Station is a nice, a cool little town. Um, I didn't have high expectations based on what Wilma Lost Champ said, um, but a cool little town. Um, I think. Pretty similar to Gainesville, you know, with your bar district, with uh, the college bars. And I had a buddy take me to uh, to a bar, and I saw, some, I think, some real-life cowboys <laughs> based on where I was in the country. Um, but, yeah, nice town, uh, beautiful stadium, uh, even, like, bigger in person when you see it. Um, and not the outcome we thought we'd get, but uh, it was a nice trip for me. And that, that makes 12 out of 14 stadiums. So that's all. <laughs> That's all I got for that. Uh, Graham, yeah, I was in the, well, heck, we were all in the uh, post-game Zoom conference uh, there. And you could, uh, you know, even from the uh, part where Dan Mullen almost failed taking a seat there, <laughs> it was just a, uh, just a odd post-game press conference. I mean, look, I, I get, you're ticked. Uh, you, you lose a game, you don't think you should lose. I mean, you don't think you should lose any of them, honestly. But you know, just the way uh, the, the game played out and you go in the fourth quarter, you're, you talk about finishing, finishing, finishing all week. That was one of the points uh, that was hit home this past week. And, you know, you could just tell uh, in, in the presser there that uh, Dan Mullen was not the not one happy camper. I, I mean, I can't blame him. You know, 538 yards allowed. What was it, 32 first downs given up by the defense? I, you know, I can't think of many stops going back to it that actually occurred in that game. Uh, you know, your comment about the stadium, I had actually had a chance to go out to the, and see the other SEC joined stadium, Missouri, a few years ago. I have yet to go out to College Station. Um, but that's one that looks like Florida is going to want to avoid in the future uh, based on these early results. Um, I wasn't expecting that at all in, in any way whatsoever. I, you know, I can't blame Dan Mullen for being upset. I had a friend there who was actually at the game, um, who went to the University of Florida, now lives in Texas, 
And he said it looks like their student section was near 100% capacity uh, and that the rest of the areas looked around 40, 50%. Nick, you can probably um, back that up or, or attest to that a little bit in some way here uh, afterwards. But, you know, I, I think that you will see maybe more students uh, brought into future games. I, I think that may be something that comes from that because crowd noise, you know, this is why Dan Mullen was, campaigning back in August for the SEC to come in and, and have some rules that are across the board to, to either pipe in crowd noise or have some rules that limit how many people can actually go to those games because it looked like uh, there's no way to police that in any way based on Saturday. So I can kind of see a little bit why yeah. he was upset in a sense, but, or an emotional reaction, certainly. Well, there, yeah, I think there was like a misconception, maybe it just hasn't been publicized enough, that there's no like SEC mandate. The SEC kind of just shrugged its shoulders and was like, let every school pick with their university, state, local government, how many people that they feel they can hold. So someone's like, uh, I'm seeing a lot of people on Saturday saying they're breaking a rule. Like, no, there's no rule. Like if they broke a rule, it's, Hey, we think we should have 30,000. Um, and then they let in more than 30,000, you know, you're not going to tell on yourself and punish yourself for, for putting more fans in. Um, I couldn't see the student section. We were really high up and they were like directly under us. And if you can imagine how, the swamp kind of goes up more up and out when it, when when it in terms of the stadium. That's kind of how Texas A and M was, and it's even taller than the swamp. So I couldn't see that section. But listen, it's it just misplaced anger. Yep. Um, the fans weren't the reason you missed eighteen plus tackles. The fans weren't the reason that A and M was eighty percent on third downs. Like it's just misplaced anger. And does he want? Would it be better if the SEC came out and said, "Hey, you can have twenty percent capacity," and that's going to change? attendance based on um, how big the stadiums are, but that's not the reason why Florida lost. That was just Dan Mullen being frustrated, uh, pissed off after a loss. That's not why Florida lost the football game Saturday. Yep. Could have been one fan in the stadium. Could have been a hundred thousand. <laughs> Todd Grantham's third down defense was still going to get shredded either way. So it's just the, uh, the nature of the beast right now. We'll, we'll get into it all right here on this episode of Gators breakdown and uh, lots, lots, lots to discuss. Of course, we'll we'll start with the defense, and there'll be a whole lot of defense discussion here. We won't uh, we won't brush by the offense. They did some good things out there. Offense is, continues to roll, of course, but uh, we'll get into it all. But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on News4Jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as News4Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. Those you know, those ratings and reviews help us out here a lot. If you're on YouTube watching this live, hit that like button. Or if you're watching it uh, when it's not live, hit that like button as well. It really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Or check us out on your favorite podcast platform for the audio version. And check out Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, guys, you know, big issue here. Kellamon, not sacked one time. Gators coming to the day with eight sacks in two games. Not one versus Kellamon. And led the mine averaging 13 and a half yards per completion. When coming into the game, he only averaged 7.3 against Vanderbilt, Alabama, first two games of the season. So averaged six more yards per completion versus the Gators, and Mon was completing nearly uh, 58% of his passes coming into the game, averaged 71% versus the Gators defense. So Texas A&M gained an average of 8.6 yards on first down. That's going to make those third downs a bit easier here. And, you know, you can transition that stat, of course, into the third down performance. Once again, from a Todd Grantham defense, uh, 8.6 yards on first down led to an average of third down and 5.2 yards to go. So about third and five for the Aggies throughout the game. And they gained an average of eight yards on third down. So 
There you go. That's going to get you your 12 of 15 on third down for the Aggies. Guys, maybe we should have seen this coming. Uh, you know, if there's one consistent with a Todd Grantham defense, is he's getting owned by experienced quarterbacks. You know, we've seen it since his first year in in Gainesville. Continue your Jake Fromm, Joe Burrow, of course, last year. Go back to what Drew Locke a couple years ago. I mean, if you're an experienced quarterback, you've got a lot of games under you. For whatever reason, it seems like you can go uh, have your way with a Todd Grantham defense. I think that's certainly fair in a sense, absolutely, in these first, what, 12 quarters that we've seen have backed that up, absolutely. And people like myself who have sat back and said the lack of tackling in spring, the lack of conditioning, the ramping up and ramping down that happened in early August once these programs got back together, this was absolutely going to come into play. I made a comment to someone that when you talk about ways that the offense can go out and actually improve, you talk about a wide receiver running routes on air or going out there and practicing with a a quarterback, you know, that can happen anywhere as opposed to tackling drills. We've seen that many teams did not do live tackling. I think Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. We, we only heard of four live tackling sessions that Florida did prior to the opener. I'm not to- totally surprised at the lack of tackling, but after Saturday, I think it's clearly m- much more than that. And I don't want to single out one position group. And someone made a comment that defensive tackling recruiting certainly is a factor. And I actually do believe that when you go back and look at just adding Jalen Humphreys in that class a few years ago, that m- may have come back to bite Florida, although they couldn't have predicted what happened with Elijah Conliffe and, and a few other situations. Um, I certainly think that there's a case that recruiting comes into it, but 12 quarters in now, it's certainly more than just a lack of tackling. I think that Florida has to look at some personnel, look at some scheme um, issues right now. I I don't really know. I got to tiptoe around um, necessarily jumping the gun here in a sense, but yeah, changes need to be made this week. I think everyone understands that. I mean, I've made excuses and it it was – I didn't even think it was an excuse to make. Uh, I thought it was just a valid point to say, hey, they haven't – they've tackled only a handful of times since January. And and you look across the country, and there was bad tackling everywhere. And and that was just a symptom of a COVID offseason. Three weeks into it, that's not an excuse anymore. And and, and frankly, I'm not where a lot of the fan base is yet saying you need to fire Grantham. I don't think I would be shocked if there's a move made in season – um, but I'm done making excuses for Florida and, and, and poor tackling in, in week three going, if you, if you can't tackle against LSU a month into the season, that's not because of what happened in the off season. You're, you're, you're past that, that being an excuse or a reason for poor tackling. In, in my opinion, I think you hit, you hit a little bit on, on the recruiting one defensive tackle in your first two classes. Now you get Kyrie Campbell not playing. So Zachary Carter, who should be a strong side defensive end is playing defensive tackle. Um, Brenton Cox, who's not a strong side defensive end, he's he might be a five star pass rusher. He's not setting the edge. He's not he's not an asset in in run in you know in stopping the run. And you've got him playing strong side defensive end. He's a buck. So now you're small up front. And when I look at what what A and M did in the second half, they came out and we got the first punt of the day. Hallelujah! Got the first punt of the day in the first drive coming out of the locker room. And then Jimbo comes out in his second drive. And he runs the ball right down Florida's throat. And he goes, oh, they can't, they can't 
be physical at the point of the attack. We're done throwing. In the first half, AM rushed 11 times for 4.3 yards per attempt and threw the ball 23 times. Second half, rushed the ball 27 times, including nine times out of 10 plays on that, on that touchdown drive. 27 rushes, 5.9 yards per attempt, and only threw 13 passes. They found out Florida's not big enough and not physical enough on the defensive front to stop us running the ball. We're going to run it right down their throats, and that's what they did the rest of the game. Yeah, guys, I mean, that's – you know, I, I tweeted this last night, and uh, kind of going back, we were all on the panel. We we, we kind of gave our thoughts of this, and, we, of course, we never – we didn't see this coming uh, for, from the defense, you know. Grant them for you know for, for the fan base and their, and part of the people out there who maybe have already wanted to move on from him or stuff. Even you didn't see this coming. You could have predicted. You know you could you could not like Grant them and what he's shown the last couple of years. But all in all, it's done a good job to improve a Florida defense. And you may not have liked even in some of the wins last year. You may not have liked what he's done, but you couldn't have predicted uh, right now a, a defense that is one of, if not the worst in the SEC, one of the worst in the country right now uh, in, in the way they're playing the ball. Uh, but, I mean, the biggest assumptions for me for for this defense are probably, you know, the, the most disappointing. And remember all the continuity talk uh, all offseason as like, hey, you know, with, with COVID and, and all that good stuff of of being able to, to have a staff that you're only replacing and bringing in Tim Brewster and you still have your head coach, you still have your defensive coordinator, you still have all these pieces and enough guys who played last year with enough experience and it come out and look like this. It looks like, and Nick and I, you'll, you'll go further with this because it's kind of based off one of your tweets here. You can't get lined up. You don't, it seems like there's so much confusion going on out there. Why is there so much confusion with so many pieces coming back? And look, the defense is a unit and you have a piece here and piece there, a piece there that have played last year, but you know, I, I'm not going to excuse it that these 11 guys didn't play a, a lot together. That's, that, that, that's not the reason of, not being set when the ball snapped. And uh, I figured Todd Grantham would have pass rushers ready to go. It just seems to be his MO, but you know, Cox is good, kind of going to your point there, but he's not the level we've seen the last year, last few years of Grenard, Zuniga, and Polite, and not a lot of consistency there. And those guys had better counterparts around them too on the, in the interior, but seen too many times where, where Cox is taking himself out of the play as well. So you know, hopefully he can get to the point of those guys and then, Lo and behold, you know, for this all this DBU moniker that Florida likes to spew and all these other schools out there, that's probably the most disappointing part is you can't count on a secondary that you've been able to count on for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years uh, in, in watching Florida. So a lot of the assumptions that we had coming into this season, even they're nowhere to be found. And that, that just lets you know how bad this defense is when you just assume the parts that would always be there, they're not, they're not there right now. DB DBU is looking like the DB State College of Western Florida. Um, I mean, the the passing defense right now, Florida's giving up 331 passing yards a game, um, only Mississippi. And then the other DBU, LSU, is actually the worst. Um, but at least LSU had, had the excuse of losing everyone. Um, I had a long drive from College Station back to Houston after the game, and I called a player um, who's no longer on the team, but he played for Ty Grantham, and he knows this scheme. And, and I asked, I said, I brought that point up and I said, hey, it, it looks like guys don't know what they're doing before the snap and there's so much moving. And I know on a defense, you're reacting to what the offense is doing. Um, but it, it just looks like guys aren't ready. Are they thinking too much? Is the scheme too hard? He goes, Nick, there's like 13 guys that have been on the Florida's too deep that have been in this system for two going on three years. He goes, it's not that the system's hard. And maybe, maybe the system wasn't too comp complicated for him. 
personally. And, and maybe it's more complicated for James Houston than it was the player that I talked to. But to his point, these guys, Ventro Miller, James Houston, Marco Wilson, um, all literally all of the safeties, they've been in Todd Grantham's offense or defense for two going on three years now. So if you're if the scheme is too difficult and you've been in it for three years, I, maybe that's on you. I, I'm not trying to stick up for Todd Grantham at all, but at some point you got to put something on the players. And if you're a third year, you know, not to pick on Sean Davis or, or Donovan Steiner, like the safeties are out of position a lot. And, and um, I know people are we're bashing Marco Wilson. Listen, bad day. You can't stick up for the day that he had. Um, but on the big 51-yard touchdown, Sean Davis bites and, and goes to try to help Ventro Miller. Marco Wilson is expecting to have safety help over the top. I, I even talked to Chad about it after the game. I said, hey, look, Sean Davis was supposed to, supposed to be there. Marco was expecting there to be safety help because it doesn't matter. He got himself back into position. When you're in position, you got to make a play. But just saying, like, to, yeah, to, to, go, yeah, to that point, to right? Two two things can be true at the same time. There was supposed to be a safety back there, and Marco right. Wilson could have played it better. Two things can be true at the yeah. same time. So it's, it's going yeah. on with that. And, and to kind of extend off of that, Graham, before when we bring you in here too, you know, Caleb Cha- Caleb Chapman yesterday called passes, you know, on Marco Wilson all day long, bringing up Nick's point here and six career catches before the game. Nine versus Florida. Just and look, but that's the thing is kind of continuing that from the last two weeks. In all three games, we've seen a one wide receiver just completely go off uh, on this Florida defense. And you know, offense is going to continue after the after the first two games. You know, A and M is probably going to look for the exact same thing. They identified uh, and targeted Marco Wilson over and over again. But you know, opposing defense or opposing offenses are, are finding matchup problems and uh, abusing this Florida defense with it. Should be when Todd Grantham kind of bones advice and says that you need to start changing your scheme or and putting your players in the best position. That's when I start hearing a little bit of credence towards it being uh, against the defensive coordinator. You know, let me get one thing straight here before I really kind of dive into, I guess, criticisms of Todd Grantham. I, I think that it's a peculiar year with COVID and every program talking about uh, possibly slashing athletics and and other things across the board and I just don't see you firing a, a coordinator midseason who's making nearly 1.9 million dollars I, I just don't see it maybe it'll happen in, in at the end of the season or a different year I don't really know but that just does not seem like a wise decision it seems like you're hitting the panic button way too early I, I think there certainly are fixes that this team can make in a week of practice one, I, I think that I don't want to jump the gun again and say that guys, the cross training of guys in multiple positions has led to uncertainty in the scheme. I don't, I don't want to, I think that's an overreaction, but it certainly begs the question of whether that's happening. When it comes to the linebacker position, they're noticeably being a drop off, I think, from David Reese last year, who, Nick, you, you know this as well. And, and Dave, he was called the professor for those younger guys who were getting that one, two years in the system under their belt. So that if they were uncertain about their assignment or the play call or what, what they were supposed to be doing, he was right there to tell them if that really is having this much of a detriment to this team, they have a bigger problem than we realized, I, I would say. Well, we know one thing. 
fan base is fed up. <laughs> that's, 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 that's one thing. And uh, I mean, you look, you know, firing, especially midseason. It, it, my thing is, we can we can bring it up. We can sit here and talk about it. It's not going to happen. I mean, so we can you, you can kind of move on from that a, a bit. You know, it, do you want us just to you know sit here on a podcast and say, okay, Todd Granson needs to be fired. Let's move on. I mean, you know, th- there are reasons. You know, but but this way, and I said it last week too. When it looks this bad, it's a combination of everything. It's players, it's coaches, it's you, you have to combine everything to make it look as bad as it is right now. So that's that's kind of that's kind of just where it is. And hey, look, it is and, and to that point, and the big stat that came out uh, from ESPN stats and info last night, Florida has allowed a hundred points in their first three games this season. That is the most points allowed by the Gators in any three game span since nineteen seventeen when the team was outscored 175 to seven over their final three games uh, of the year. So uh, ESPN uh, throwing that one uh, out there. So uh, Nick, kind of going back to one of your points and one of the points I brought up earlier and in, in, in finishing, and we all know we, we talked to the Mullen last week and that was kind of uh, the big topic of last week was finishing supposedly was the, you know, the big topic this past week was going to be an idea that they needed to hit home this week. You had an 11-point lead in the second half, couldn't finish. And, look, Texas A&M was getting penalty after penalty. Then they're the ones that responded in, in the situation they needed to respond in and had an unsportsmanlike penalty uh, on the Aggies. And, uh, Nick, you brought this up. They started on their own 13-yard line and then go on to hand the ball to Isaiah Spiller for games of 13, 23, 13, and 9. Then Anaya Smith goes for 9, 5, and 6, and all of those seven runs in a row. And the drive ends three plays later with a spiller three yard run, and look, it was just it was the Aggies that responded by running over Florida there when Florida it seemed had all the momentum in the game, and then later on a fourth and two spiller runs through Ventrell Miller on the way to the end zone for a 19 yard score. So you know, the 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 end of the game, the offense has one big mistake and at the worst possible time on that Malik Davis fumble, and the Aggies get the ball back 340 uh, in a tie game, 38 apiece, and go on to kick the game winning field goal with no time left. And look, as far as Malik, the Malik Davis fumble goes, I mean, it cost – this is the way I put it out on Twitter today. It cost Florida a chance to win the game, but it didn't lose the game for Florida, if, if that makes sense. So, yeah, and, and yeah, but it must be brought up because, you know, the focus this week, and that, and that goes to the, the both sides of the ball, the focus this week was closing on both sides of the ball, and it wasn't done. Yeah, I, I think I – I wrote about it last week and I think Graham or somebody joked that it was like the story that I was, I'm a big MMA fan and I was able to talk about, uh, you know, um, Jorge Masvidal finishing Ben Askren and clearly knocked him out with a knee and then has to be pulled off. Like that's the mentality you need. You, you want to, you want to say, whoa, not go. Um, and that's what it was. Florida had A&M backed up, had a chance. A&M was, it seemed like they were self-imploding with, you know, with the, uh, with the penalties that they were getting. And then it's it, that's the drive that I brought up earlier where they just realized that, oh, Florida's not physical enough to handle to stop our running game. And then they just ran it down Florida's throats. Uh, it, every week now we're talking about it. And I asked Kyle Trask after the game. He didn't really have an answer. I'm like, because he brought it up. And he said, we had a chance to finish the game. We didn't do it. I said, you've had a chance to finish every single game and, and take Ole Miss out of a game. And you had a chance to take South Carolina out of the game. I mean, you had a chance – against South Carolina to take them out in the third quarter. And we would probably would have seen Anthony Richardson and, and would have gotten him some run. You would have gotten some other younger players, some run in, in, in all three weeks, you've had a chance to close out. And, and I asked Tal Grantham about it last week. I said, can you teach that? He goes, I think, I think you can teach it. I don't know if you can teach this Gator team that killer instinct. Cause now we've seen it three times and not be able to finish an opponent when they've had, when they've been presented the opportunity. 
Graham, are we making too much of the whole finish thing uh, from last week, especially you know three games in a row now? No, not at all. I, I think that if you go back to that South Carolina game, I think it was arguably, in a sense, a worse finish because you allow your defense to be on the field for 40 plays over the last 19 and a half minutes. That, that's ludicrous. Florida only ran 50 plays in that entire game. And if Will Muschamp hadn't got a little confused and decided to run those eight-minute drives as if he was the one with the double-digit lead, Florida may have been in a situation like they were on Saturday. So it certainly is concerning. Now you saw this past Saturday what would happen if you don't have a, a double-digit lead heading into the fourth quarter, if the game really is on the ropes. And to back up a lot of people's points about Todd Grantham, and you've said this as well, Dave, not showing up in big games. In the LSU game last year, Jake Fromm looking like an NFL quarterback in, in Georgia, in Jacksonville last year. I, I certainly think that you can make a case that against any quarterback who, who is able to air it out, Florida has not shown up. I, I don't want to say that that is become a pattern necessarily, but it is concerning right now. And no, you're absolutely not making too much of it because if they don't get this thing fixed, they're going to be in a lot of trouble uh, the rest of the season. It's not going to be their only loss. Well, I guess that's where I want to go next before we you know, go into the other side of the ball and in the offense. Can it be fixed? I mean, I think that's the biggest question now. We saw Mullen say he's going to re- reevaluate uh, everything on the defensive side of the ball, who's playing, who's out there. And look, I mean, him and Grantham's got to have a heart to heart today when they, or maybe even last night when they got back to Gainesville or on the plane or whatever. I mean, those guys have got to have a heart to heart and figure out, you know, and I mean, look, this is pure guessing game here. What, what comes out of that meeting? Is it Mullen dictating what Grantham needs to do, or is it after a heart to heart? They figure some things out, and he trusts Grantham to go out there and do those things. Now, you're paying him $1.8 million, and you would hope that you could trust him to go out there and do those things. But, I mean, you would hope some of these, as being that $1.8 million defensive coordinator, you would have hoped some of these some of these issues would have shown up in, in the preseason. But, you know, of course, you know, and Mullen keeps bringing this, and I may even ask him this tomorrow when we're there. You know, a couple of weeks ago, he's telling us, you know, going back to last year, okay, we thought the, we thought the offensive uh, – run game would work better and it worked all preseason camp last year and we get to the season and it doesn't work well were these issues we're seeing on defense are you going to tell me they magically just showed up when they went and played Ole Miss that Marco Wilson and in the secondary was lock, was locking down Pitts and Grimes and and, and Tony or you know did, did all of a sudden you know that they they were playing well and all of a sudden you go play Ole Miss and for whatever reason the defense just falls apart in the first three games I, I can't imagine a lot of these issues that we're seeing didn't come out of camp yeah i don't think so and that's the tough part about camp is that you know last year they think oh hey we're gonna be able to run the ball and no it turns out it's just you can't stop the run (laughs) so bad that your run defense was so bad last year that it made your your offensive line who couldn't run block made them look competent in, in camp so that's always the issue in camp is hey are we good here or are we really bad on the other side of it um to, to the point about making changes, I don't think Dan Mullen will be dictating anything on, on Saturdays when it comes down to play calling or, or scheme like that. Like I, I'm more probably talking about players, I guess, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you got to make some changes. Like, listen, um, 
you're you're undersized right now. And if that's like, is Kyrie Campbell a good player? Yes. Is he like an All American? No. Is he going to take you from being the thirteenth, you know, run defense in in the SEC to to the best? No. Um, but it will allow you to have an actual defensive tackle move Zach Carter to where he should be playing at strong side and move Brandon Cox away from strong side where he doesn't belong and put him at buck. Um, so that could help you. Um, and that's a change in personnel. Uh, we'll see if he comes back. You know, Dan's been very forthcoming and honest with people uh, not playing this season. So we'll see if he's actually available this year, uh, this week, this year, or whenever. Um, but listen, Todd Graham's been coaching 30 years. Like, this is what he is. When you hired him, when you brought him here, this is what he is. And you're going to have some great games. I mean, look, go back and look. They dialed up eight, eight and eight-man blitz, you know, uh, on a fourth down on the road at Starkville, and that won you the game. Yeah, that's a huge gamble. Um, my question is, you're playing soft coverage, playing some guys off. The guy, I mean, it's – the guy on the boundary side is 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 playing press because you've got the mm-hmm. – the, the the field is help is like another defender. You know, the out of bounds line is another defender. The 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 field side guy, the one that's on the side of the field that has more, he's playing off because you don't have that same thing. A lot of teams do that, but you're playing off coverage. Maybe he's trying to protect his safeties. And if you're still trying to protect guys that are three, four years in the system, find some other guys to play. So from a changing perspective, I think the only thing you're going to do is change personnel because you've got a guy who's been coaching for three decades that that that's what he does that's what you see his scheme that's not changing in the middle of the season no i mean maybe tendencies uh person i mean to me it probably starts with personnel and looking at i know know everybody you follow on social media and message boards wants this youth movement (laughs) out there and a lot of young players uh on the field and you know i I think you know there are some players out there who deserve more of an opportunity They, they they've uh They've shown up in, in, in spots, some of the younger players, but there's some guys out there too that, who can uh, do uh, take more accountability for some things off the field and, and, and practice and, and need to take care of themselves and get themselves out on the field before the coaching staff is going to put them out there. Uh, there, But, Nick, I mean, I mean look, the, the answers aren't easy. And as I said, Grantham's not get, Grantham will be the defensive coordinator versus LSU. So the thing is we got to discuss what's going to happen. And, what, and Georgia and, and Georgia. Missouri right. and yeah. the rest of the year. I mean, where, where do you think he deserves to be fired or not? That's, you know, that's that's actually a, a whole different subject. He's going to be the defensive coordinator when Florida plays LSU next Saturday and the games after that. So what can be done? Do better football. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Gator country, you know, it doesn't pay me $1.8 million to to make decisions for, for Todd Grantham. Yeah, right. I can tell you right. I can, I can tell you that he's not earning that, that paycheck right now. And, um, it's, it, listen, it's, if the scheme is bad, you, you coaches always say this and maybe it's coach speak and they don't mean it or they don't know how to implement it, but you need to put your players in the best position to be successful. And, and if that's not happening, you need to find something else. And if that means changing something you've done for 15 years, then you gotta do that. And you gotta look inside and you gotta find answers because it's, you know, it, it's a 10 game schedule. You get one week off and you're playing SEC opponents every week. You're not going to be able to have an experimental week with Jacksonville State coming to town. Um, you know, it's just – it's tough answers, but that's why you're getting paid that much money. But yeah. when you get paid that much money, the pressure comes. So I totally get the fans' frustration. And it's not new. It's not just from this year. Fans were mm-hmm. mad last year. Fans were probably mad the first year. Fans were mad when Todd Grantham was hired because of 
his choke emotion <laughs> back in uh, 2007, 2008. So yeah. it's a new thing that they're just mad from what's happening this season. Um, you get paid a lot of money to make these hard decisions and, and to make tough calls and to figure things out. And you're not doing it right now. So I get it. I'm not on the fire Todd Grantham bandwagon yet. I think what we're what Dave and I are just saying is just that it's not going to happen. And start the the groundswell of support for it to happen so that it's not a new thing when the season's over and you think it should happen. Um, if it's going to happen, it'll happen after the year. Graham, I think, uh, and maybe this is too simple, uh, too simple of a way to look at it, but man, you can go look at what you know, what Dan Mullen has been able to do on offense. You know, he comes in, Felipe, he identifies Felipe Franks as a starter, actually makes something happen on offense. And he took a dip back before Kyle Trask come in for Felipe Franks against Kentucky last year. But, you know, he's taken that and second Kyle Trask, and he's made a different-looking, retooled offense, and he's made it work. You know, he's get, whatever pieces he's got, he's made it work. And I think that, you know, one of the big questions about that is, why can't Todd Grantham do the same? And we, we've seen – Hey, look, we just kind of going back to some of the points we've had there. You have enough pieces. You've got enough experience. You've got enough pieces of guys that played last year, and you should be able to fit them in and, and not have this big drop off. Don't let off the hook. He didn't make the decision to go to Kyle Trask. He was forced yeah, to do it. He changed. He changed after it. But it's not like Dan Mullen, quarterback whisperer, was like, ah, you know what? We got this guy Kyle Trask. He's gonna be really good. No, he picked Felipe Franks over Kyle Trask. Kyle yeah. Trask was forced on him. He adjusted after, but yeah. he didn't pick Kyle Trask. Yeah. Either way, it's working. So <laughs> it's working. And that's what it boils down to is like, you know, with all the pieces, again, these are guys you recruited, but you're still playing a whole bunch of McIlwain players. Why can't you get it to work? Well, you know, I, I think that let's go back a little bit further. You know, it, whether you believe him or not, Dan Mullen was thinking about after that, that Felipe Frank's performance going to Kyle Trask. Um, and if it wasn't for that, that foot injury by Kyle Trask, you know, you possibly would have seen that change. And we made a point earlier that Dan Mullen has said he, he tools his offense around his personnel. And absolutely. I I'm with you guys that Todd Grantham should listen to that advice. If that's, the issue at hand here, they absolutely need to make that change. And fortunately, I think that LSU is a chance to bounce back. Not only is there recent emotional, whatever you want to call it, a rivalry there based on those two teams being competitive at the same time, I think that LSU is a little bit of a shell of itself right now, but you're not getting it. This Kellen Mond type quarterback. I think Miles Brennan, they possibly could have a bounce back type performance. I saw a lot of people saying that Florida has struggled in zone coverage. And, and I, again, I think that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but I would expect against this pretty de depleted uh, LSU core for, for Florida to look at the film from last week and be talking to the, the safety core at helping Florida secondary out in those passing situations I'm going to make one more point because we often talk about David Reese and his impact and what he did coming into this team. But I think that when we're looking at it right now, who possibly their departure has left Florida a little bit worse off. I think you have to say Adam Schuler. What a godsend in a sense that that guy got into the program and was able to provide depth in the interior of the defensive line for Florida at a time when they were 
not really recruiting the position really well and we're losing defensive tackles more than they were getting into the program, I think you can make a case right now that not having him there along with Kyrie Campbell as well along TJ Slayton has absolutely hurt Florida's pass rush. And, and I think that you could make an argument that it's made the entire front seven suffer as a whole. So if they can find some other guy, whether it's plugging in Gervin Dexter or Jalen Lee or Jalen Humphreys, one of these guys has to be able to do something. That would be my personnel change. And, and I also really liked what I saw out of Therese Johnson on Saturday. And I know that he, there was some down there as well. I'm not saying that it was absolutely perfect, but I, I think you had to like what you saw out of him, his physicality, his speed. I, he was not afraid to tackle, was a solid tackler. I think that you have to play him more, if anything, to send a message to the rest of the guys who have been, like you said, in the scheme for two, three seasons yet and are still making freshman mistakes. Yeah. I'm going to do a lot of research tomorrow. You know, the, tomorrow's Gators breakdown. And look, we, we got to go look at it because this has kind of been a trend with Todd Grantham. You go back to his time at Georgia, starts off really well, and then it tapers off. You go back to his time at Louisville, it starts well, and then it kind of tapers off. So we'll kind of, you know, I got a little bit of research there to do uh, tomorrow. I, I want to compare some of the numbers there and how much of a drop off, key stats there, third down, sacks, all that kind of stuff. So we'll be looking on that for the, for the next episode there and kind of uh, a feature of uh, Todd Grantham and his uh, trends when he's at a, when he's at a school uh, for, for some years to come. So before we get, to the uh, offensive side of the ball. And look, I know we'll, we'll talk more defense uh, all throughout the week. Like as I said, uh, Will Miles and I will, will be on Gators Breakdown tomorrow and we'll review his article out there. And like I said, we'll uh, probably feature uh, a historical look at, at Todd Grantham too. And maybe this is just kind of a trend that's inevitable <laughs> when you when you go back and look at it. But between the NFL, college football, and the MLB playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch. And with thousands of lines available in all your favorite sports events, you can turn your game day into payday at my bookie. If you're the type that likes to back big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value. Think about the NFL is there's never really underdogs on Sunday. Every team has a truly has a chance to win. And you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. You can sign up at MyBookie. Just use promo code GATERS and you can grab a free $20 wager with your first deposit to bet on anything in the sports book. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code GATERS for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stack UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports and more. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at my bookie. Guys, unfortunately, the uh, defense overshadows another great day for, for the offense. Eight drives, six scores, one punt, one turnover. It was enough to it was enough to win the game. Uh, of course, kind of going back to our earlier point there, more than enough, you know, with a competent defense if you if you had that out there. 402 yards. Trask adds 312 yards and four more touchdowns to his total for the year. Got away with a couple of throws, but he continues to light it up. And I, look, guys, we can safely say he's going to put this offensive position all season long. Yeah, uh, have we are we are we leaving the defense, or are we going to talk about how the defense is wasting the worst offense we've seen from Florida since you know guys like Percy Harvin and Tim Tebow were walking around on campus? That um, is the transition. This offense is <laughs> that, that's that's a. That is in uh, in our business is what we call a smooth transition. <laughs> um, 
this offense is fun to watch. Um, I, the only thing I don't like really get about the offense right now is how they choose who's running the ball. Unfortunately, I think Malik Davis is a great story. Um, he's had to overcome a bunch of injuries, and, and he's really running the ball hard. I mean, early on in the first quarter, him and, and um, uh, Damian Pierce were lowering their head. They, they brought their hard hats. They were not going to get tackled. They were just gonna, they were there to deliver blows to defensive players. Um, but then Naquan Wright comes out, and he looks fantastic. I think he looks, to me, probably like the most well-rounded. He's great in pass pro. He can catch the ball, runs the ball really well. I just don't know how you kind of divvy up those those carries. Uh, at the end of the day, Damian Pierce had seven. Naquan had six. Um, Malik Davis gets five. Unfortunately, I think we've seen Malik get buried after fumbling. Um, like you like you said, Dave, Malik Davis's fumble was not the reason Florida lost that football game, but he has shown that he can put the ball on mm-hmm. the ground and that he does put the ball on the ground. So I think you might see him kind of get buried because Naquan looks fantastic. Um, the receivers, I mean, obviously Kyle Pitts, there is Tony – career day for him he continues to look better and better um the offense is just so much fun to watch and it's just like the defense just kind of brings you down uh in the game um but i guess that's it we've i've since since 2013 was my first year covering florida i've been begging begging for offense just any kind of offense and i i I think i must have made a, a deal with the devil and uh i apologize but florida will not have a defense because i sold my soul just to be able to watch some offense. I think that's what happened. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. Graham, kind of going through what uh, Nick said there, you know, perhaps, you know, Trask's best attribute, you know, it's finding the right player. Is it perfect? No. You know, not not many quarterbacks are. You know, he did have some forced throws out, out there yesterday. Got away with a few, of course. But, man, just the way he's able to distribute the ball, and that, that's helped unearth Kadarius Tony as a true wide receiver, overall weapon. Uh, look, and we can say that three games into the season now. We, we've seen enough to know that he, he he's made that transition into a to a full-time wide receiver now. Passing game hasn't missed a beat from last season, mostly because of a, of a player like Tony stepping up. You know, and, and it's a shame the best game in his career is over, overshadowed by this defense here. You, you overlook it just in, in just everything that he did yesterday. Seven receptions, 92 receiving yards, two touchdowns versus the Aggies. You know, Florida sends these notes here. Previous career high for receptions was six. Uh, and while his career high for receiving yards was 86 last week versus South Carolina, you know, he he upped that too uh, just a week later. So he he has five-plus receptions in each of uh, his first three games. He entered the season with one career game of five-plus receptions. So, you know, every, everything you look at here just lets you know the, the steps he's, he's made to be a, a wide receiver and, and a weapon there. Four touchdown receptions in three games this season are double his career total in the 27 games he played in 27 uh, two, or 2007, 2017 to 2019. Uh, and this was Tony's first career. I mean, this is a surprising stat. I knew this going in because I remember finding it before the season. Uh, but this is his first career multi-touchdown performance. And for, for everything that he's done in his career up to this point, it's kind of, kind of been inconsistent. But one stat that might you know really stick out to everybody, if you don't follow Florida closely, is – this is the first time he's had more than one touchdown in a game. And, 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 you know, this might be the best story on offense so far. Yeah, I really think you have to give Kadarius Tony a whole lot of credit. I think a lot of people have knocked him, fair or not, since last season, really since he's been on campus for, I mean, go all the way back to the beginning, wanting to play quarterback, getting a stint at quarterback. We saw that he was a dynamic athlete right away off the bat. But Dan Mullins – criticisms of him were I think very fair he, he was not a traditional wide receiver in the sense it was always unexpected you you never really could 
rely on him to follow the play call necessarily or know it. Uh, and when he was out there, I think everyone always expected him to get the ball. Those things are no longer the case necessarily. His footwork, he's combined it with exceptional route running. I think you can see the work that he did. I said earlier that it was easier, I think, for wide receivers and quarterbacks to improve aspects of their game as opposed to defense in the offseason. And I think that Kadarius Toney, him taking that step after putting his name in the NFL draft last year and then coming back at the last second, it has really taken the leap that that everyone expects a guy to take when they're on the fence and they can just do one or two things that can solidify that professional career. So I'm really impressed with what you saw. You know, you, you just kind of threw a stat out there about multiple receiving touchdowns and I'm kind of use this stat to pivot. If Kyle Pitts had got one more receiving touchdown in that game, he would have been just the fourth SEC player since 2000 to have three multiple receiving touchdown games in the first three games of the season only been done by three other players that just happened by an LSU wide receiver on Saturday this past week. And, and Kyle Pitts would have been just the fourth one to do it. So got to hope that that left foot injury is not something that's going to hang over into Florida's game against the Tigers on Saturday. Yeah. From uh, a lot of people saw, you know, Kyle Pitts out there struggling a little bit uh, going into that second half. I mean, look, he was winded, he was worn out, but you could also tell, you know, he was hobbling a little bit as well. Uh, early returns, you know, kind of just ask around. He, sh- he should be fine. Not, not, a whole, not a whole lot to, to worry about right there, but definitely, as Graham says, definitely worth watching when you have seen the weapon Kyle Pitts is and uh, you don't want him. You want him out there 100% because you, you, it lets you know. And you look, with the way the defense is playing, you may need everybody at 100% to, to keep outscoring everyone uh, there. So, uh, yeah, just kind of going back to your point too, man, the, the, the running backs, uh, big fan of what we saw there. But especially in the passing game, you know, why – Right average 5.2 yards per carry on six attempts, as you, as you mentioned, Pierce 3.6 on seven carries, Davis 4.2 on five carries. But, you know, they showed their worth in the passing game. And, and one of my biggest questions, and I think I asked Mullen and every wide running back we had <laughs> in all the Zoom press conferences is, is how are you going to catch the ball out of the backfield? And it was one of my biggest questions for this group. And, you know, they, they this was their best game in, in that regard. Malik Davis, three catches for 73 yards, right with a 26-yard uh, reception. Pierce with a touchdown catch. Uh, there's a lot to like there overall when trying to make up for P. Ryan and, and, and the versatile weapon he was uh, as a running back, and Florida's, Florida's finding a way. Look, when last year, when you had a running back that was catching the balls out of the backfield, it was only Piran. It was nobody else. This year, you got three guys showing that they can they can share that load a little bit. Yeah, and that, I mean that's a huge thing because I mean you couldn't put anyone else on the field last year on third down uh, if, if it was a passing situation. It had to be Piran, and that's probably why you're seeing that kind of breakdown of, of snaps with with between Wright, Pierce, and Davis. Um, but that's a huge thing to have. I mean, this offense, and to your point, we you said earlier, I think Dan Mullen's offenses are simple for quarterbacks. You just need a quarterback that can make the right decisions. And, and I, I, I definitely trust Kyle Trask to be making those decisions right now. And um, I think we were all on the Zoom call, and I told Kyle, I was like, I don't know how you do it. I would just throw the ball to, to Kyle Pitts 47 times a game or however many <laughs> pass attempts I got. I would throw it to him every single time. But he makes the right decisions. And if you need to check down, Check down, and uh, I, I would like to see some other guys getting more catches. I think from a receiver standpoint, but yeah, the running backs I think have been a pleasant surprise in terms of being able to not just catch passes, but also we I, I wasn't sure how they'd be in, in pass protection. I think they've done a great job in, in all aspects of the passing game. 
Graham, I want to bring you here with something Nick just brought up. And I know people follow social media out there and have seen Jacob Coppola's comments today. And, you know, he's kind of just been known for that, kind of the vague cryptic tweet. And you don't really know if he's talking about football or if he's talking about life. And that's just the way social no, media. He was not talking about himself. He, he followed it up with a Felipe Franks tweet several minutes later and <laughs> you look at what felipe franks has done in arkansas right I, you got to shut that down right away dave come on man you look no, at what I, he's done I, in arkansas i, did, I, did, I, did, I didn't i didn't see the franks tweet okay okay the Frank. right. so right. i'm glad i'm glad you could you could follow it up there i i had no idea but i i think i saw the franks tweet but i didn't i didn't put the two together so there you go uh um, yeah you know you look at what sam Pittman and felipe franks are doing there i think it certainly backs up a lot of the frustrations of Florida fans and, and Lane Kiffin as well. You see what offense is able to do. And I've been saying this throughout the show. I think it's been easier to install offense and, and have guys establish that chemistry and keep practicing and not miss that beat despite no off season, no spring training. But it certainly still is impressive because there were so many people who said, oh, he's going to a, a dumpster fire of a program with a new head coach. They just won four games last year. Uh, their new SEC schedule. If this is what is happening at Florida, imagine what's happening at a place like Arkansas. That team yeah. believes that they can win, and that defense is is playing. I think, yeah, arguably better than Florida's right now with less talent. So, well, see, that's that, that, back that, to the gripes that are there for Todd Grantham. There you go. That's, that's the example. Right. That's the example you can use. Barry Odom, you know, head coach at Missouri last year, he gets inserted as defensive coordinator at Arkansas and plays Georgia. Yeah, but then there's, but for every, you know, Chad yeah. Morris, there's a Bo Pelini at yep. LSU who's given up, what, 44 and a half per game. So, with much more talent. <laughs> you can't just take it for granted right away. Exactly. With much more talent. So, yeah. you can't necessarily take it for granted. It absolutely is impressive what Arkansas is doing right now. Uh, yeah. Granted, kind of going to the point I was going to and, and when Nick brought it up. All right. We, we shouldn't, I don't think we should all be worried at all. You know, Justin Shorter's not getting a whole lot of catches. Xavier Henderson's not getting a whole lot of catches. Copeland had the good first game, hasn't really had a lot of chances in the last couple of games. But you know, we saw that last year with Florida's offense. You're going to just have these games, especially with the, the weapons Florida has and the, the numerous weapons Florida has. There's just going to be games. And look, I know it's kind of like two in a row for Copeland. So everybody's just going to kind of be, you know, keying in on him or Javon Grimes or whatever, just because of what Pitts and Pitts and Tony are doing. And, and the running backs getting more involved as well. Instead of just P. Ryan, you're splitting, you know, the, the ball between three of those guys in, in the passing game as well. So um, I wouldn't worry too much, you know, just kind of looking at the surface of uh, the, the, you know, some guys just not getting their catches right now because there's going to be a time this season when those guys are going to be going to be called upon. Yeah, certainly. I think that anyone expecting otherwise hasn't really been watching very closely. Go back to when Van Jefferson got to the program from from Ole Miss, and you know he came in having what 44 receptions, and I don't think he sniffed that at Florida. This is a, a team where if you get six targets a game, you're, you're likely going to be the leading receiver that game. I, I was impressed that Kyle Pitts was getting that eight targets right off the bat, but I'm actually surprised that we haven't seen more guys in the rotation. I'm looking for Jamarcus Weston. Uh, I, I thought that Justin Shorter actually has played more than I've expected him to play this season so far. I, I expected Jacob Copeland to be out there a little bit more. Uh, no Trent Whittemore sighting last week, so yeah. the local paper was a little bit disappointed right over here. <laughs> uh, you know, especially I thought that if you if you ever talk about maximizing opportunities, which is such 
coach speak cliche, whatever you want to call it. Those two receptions against South Carolina, how can you say that he didn't maximize opportunities? So to Jacob Copeland's credit, we know the talent that he has, but if he goes out there and does commit penalties or drops, I would not be surprised to see guys like Whittemore and, and Weston take away some of his targets. That's just how Dan Mullen likes to space it out, and we've, we've seen that since he's been here. Yep, yep. So, guys, it was uh, pretty simple this week. It didn't have to ask uh, for many fans' reactions. I was getting them anyway. Uh, so that kind of, of course, happens <laughs> after a Gator loss. Well, 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 real quick. Yeah. Also, we're talking about that, and I mean, I I know that they're they're going to spread the ball around for wide receivers, but Florida's not running no, enough yeah, plays. And I mean, that goes back. to But you're not running enough plays, so you're talking about well, he needs to get the ball more. Xavier Henderson needs to get the ball more. Nope, offense has run less plays in the SEC than Florida. Nobody. So it, it's just the fact that you're not even getting a chance. I mean, Florida's Florida's defense is on the field on average 16 more plays in the offense. So when you're running 54 plays in the game, you can't get those guys the ball. And, and, and that's just the problem. You need to have your offense on the field more than your defense is. Unless you're unless you're like 2019 LSU where it's like or you know 2001 Miami where it's like, "Hey, cool, we don't need to be on the field. We're going to score in three plays in 45 seconds." Florida's not doing that. You it's just an issue of the, the, right now the discrepancy of defense not being able to get on, off the field and the offense is getting four or five drives a game. You know, you, you got three drives in the first half, scored on all of them, that's great. Um, but you need to be running more plays per game than they are right now. I'd have yep. to go back and look at it, but I think that that first drive was, what, 14 plays? And so, oh, that first, that first drive was just a, a master class. It was it was it was like fourteen plays, plays, plays seventy five seventeen plays seventy five yards seven and a half minutes. Yep. And then you run thirty three plays thirty seven after that. Yep. Yeah. Man. Whew. Yeah. So we put that together. Yeah. Not even a not a whole <laughs> lot of plays out there for for, uh, for, for that, everybody. That, that kind of get to write two me. games. And two games in a row, you know, it was 50 plays last week if you don't count the kneel downs, 53 overall, but, you know, 50 just over against South Carolina. So, yeah, not a lot of plays out there for all the weapons uh, that Florida has. So, I uh, put that there on Twitter um, last night. Dude, I said, I might be reading this wrong. Uh, I feel this is the most ticked off the fan base has been since Mullen took over. Other losses have felt more, quote, disappointing, but this one is drawing the most criticism. Rightfully so. And I didn't have to ask for reactions to that. I got them anyway. So <laughs> I, I will share the reaction to that because they, they fit, uh, of course, what's going to go on here. Uh, ben Bennett says, usually when you give up as many points as this team, you can point to multiple turnovers, scheme, or poor performance by your defense. Scheme, poor execution, missing tackles were the difference here. Can't expect the offense to score every possession. Uh, Adam uh, Foskey says, uh, regardless of pandemic, uh, fans, no fans, lack of tapping in camp, this defensive play is inexcusable. Uh, they have a lot of returning players with lots of snaps, and to see the offense progress all three years and the defense regress, Mullen cost himself a national title with Grantham's mess on defense. Um, that lets me know right there, you know, that Adam started his reply with everything we've heard from the coaching staff pretty much as far as excuses or reasons why – it's not looking as good as it is, and, and, and it's and it's no surprise. I mean, Mullen's press conference after the game's been shared on social media uh, like crazy today. President Fox for for Florida has had to come out and and, and put out another statement of you know not raising the the, the capacity at the swamp. Uh, so uh, there's just a whole lot of reasons out there right now that uh, 
people are pointing to besides actually what's happening on the field sometimes. Uh, let's go. Kevin Bronner says um, it's because we all knew this day was eventually coming where uh, where less than stellar recruiting player evaluation, iffy game planning uh, would catch up to us. Uh, Kuwe says it's because there appears to be no way to fix what's wrong with this team. We have a generational talent at quarterback who is going to be wasted because of uh, defenses incompetence. It's infuriating. Uh, Gators guy 92. It's kind of the same thread here. It's three weeks and no improvement on the performance of the defense. We aren't used to seeing them not have improvement. We've been so relying on the defense the past decade or so. It hurts seeing that as weak spot. It feels like regression. And that's and like I said, well, I'll go into more depth uh, with it on Gators breakdown t- tomorrow for the next episode. But that, that that is the worrisome thing. It's year three, and it's just found a way to get a whole lot worse in year three. It wasn't even a gradual drop off you had a pretty good 2018 pretty good 2019 on defense and now you just fallen off of a cliff so I, I think that's the infuriating part you see the offense do so good but you saw it gradually get there this defense has just mm-hmm. fell off a cliff from 2019 to 2020 and i mean how many how many years in a row were, were was just hey if florida just had a competent offense like you don't need the number one offense in the country, just a competent offense. The defense is good enough. Um, and now you've got not just a competent offense, but a dangerous offense. One that, you know, you shouldn't have to ask your offense. I mean, their expectation is to score every, every time they have the ball, but that you shouldn't expect a touchdown every time the, the, the offense has the ball. Um, but right now I feel like you have to, <laughs> if Florida's offense doesn't score every time they touch the ball, um, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, well, now you're going to be playing behind because I don't, I don't trust the defense is going to stop at all. Yeah, Graham, and, and kind of going to that point and extending that point, the only way you lose games with this offense is have a god-awful defense, and somehow <laughs> they have a god-awful defense. Yeah, you know, I, I think the lack of forced turnovers is something that still jumps out to me. It The first one was the first quarter of the, the – the season opener and it was by your defensive tackle who was a freshman this is a team that understands the importance of takeover takeaways i think they had what 19 last year i i'd have to go back and look but they were near the top of the sec and in, in takeaways certainly in the top five that is something that this team is going to rely on we, we talk about the lack of you know plays that outside that first drive 33 plays after the first drive you have to find ways to get the ball back to your offense and whether that's your defense getting stops and, and forcing them to flip the field and, and get back on offense or jump a route, you know, that that's, I think what was so maddening when you saw the recaps of the, of the game afterwards, there was the pictures of Marco Wilson, where he was just out of position, not making a play on the ball. And it wasn't just him, obviously, but, but guys who were just out of position or not even attempting to, to jump a route it looked like they were playing off the entire game. And, and I, I, I could understand the frustrations of fans watching that looking like they were playing timid, hesitant, because that that's not what you guys said, Gator football that it's been in the past. You know, it's physical, it's aggressive. Uh, guys are hitting other players, forcing fumbles. We're not seeing that at all whatsoever. And you can't just point to one position group and you, and you can't, I, I think, point to – necessarily the defensive coordinator because as you guys know he's out there in practice every single week saying jump on the football pick it off 
And then there's those, there's those clips of guys like Brad Stewart that are being posted to their social media accounts of them saying, look how many picks I've gotten these gloves. And, and then you don't see that come to fruition on Saturday. I can certainly understand those frustrations when we actually boil it down. Yeah. Through three games, Jervon Dexter is still your leading uh, interception uh, getter for the Gators. <laughs> That's uh Brad, Brad, Brad also reporting that, uh, that he was knocked out. Didn't remember the play where he got mm. knocked out. So Brad, Brad breaking, breaking more news than we are. Graham. <laughs> I, get used to it, man. I, especially in this pandemic era, you know, someone said to me, well, you know, 15 unavailable players. Why do we not know who has COVID and who's out for so-and-so and so? I mean, if they said to you traditional injuries of the guys like Emory Jones, they said he, they said wrist or hand or whatever you want to call it. And then everyone else didn't have anything listed. Well, you might as well just tell them that, oh, it's COVID related or quarantine related. And so with that understanding where people are just going to assume no matter what happens, because it's 2020 and, and it's the internet, I can understand why Dan Mullen doesn't want to necessarily give credence to that or, or talk about injuries in that sense, because people are really going to be able to figure it out. But it is just so jarring when we're sitting here on Sunday and NFL facilities are being shut down over one player and games are being moved. And we have no idea how many quarantine related issues this team has, or, or if that's the cause, because if that's why Kyrie Campbell's out and I'm just speculating here, and that's why they can't play freshmen like Jahari Rogers. And if that's the case here, because how many times, Nick, I mean, you were there as well, a freshman, CJ Henderson, the first game, a pick six in his first game. If that's what's keeping players off the field, you know, we have no way of knowing. And so we're relying on them to uh, break that news for us. So please do. <laughs> uh, some good things here. Looking on the good side, uh, Andrew Barrett says, here are some positives. Offensive line protected quarterback well, even produced in the run game. Play calling was phenomenal on offense. Kicker was great. Again, Tony had a great game. Uh, besides throwing in double or triple coverage a couple of times, Trash was very good. Travis Johnson played well. Shane Pittman says, I also think this is the best thing that could have happened to this team. People don't change until their back is against the wall. That defense and their coaches back are against the wall. I mean, that is one thing you hope, and I've seen this come to, you hope it wouldn't come to a loss before you see massive changes on defense. You knew the changes. You, you, you knew there were problems after week one. You definitely knew there were problems after week two on this defense. Does it take a loss to, to finally rally the troops and, and turn some things around? You hope it doesn't come to that point, but maybe it does. Maybe it does. Uh, there. So um, uh, Shannon Snell actually chimed in on this one too. And he says, any loss sucks, but this is the best team we've had player talent and coaching wise since 2009. Expectations were, are college football playoff or bust. Defense is a glaring weakness. And I think a majority of our fan base has noted the, noted the obvious begging for change before we lost a game like we did today. And that's the thing, guys, and, and I think that's where most of it is. As I said, this is where the fan base is ticked off and more than disappointed because you knew Florida had everything going for it this season. If the defense was kind of normal and the offense looks like it does now, you know Florida has a great chance of making the college football playoff run. And with this defense right now, and a lot of people kind of mention it before the season and definitely through the first week, you feel like it's a wasted opportunity. Yeah, let me let I mean, me it's, it's, here real quick. I don't think any any team is going to go undefeated, I especially in this ten game conference only schedule. So let's let's establish that right away. And it would be kind of hypocritical to be sitting here and saying, "Oh, this team has issues. 
They're going to face more losses because I think that every team, maybe outside Alabama, but either way, they just gave up, what, 48 points to Ole Miss. They certainly, you know, imagine how mad Nick Saban was after that game, despite winning that game. Every team has issues. There are going to be games where teams lay eggs. And I think that if you looked at Georgia's performance, you can say, yes, there is a difference right now between Georgia and Florida. But we're sitting here saying that a lot of those things can get corrected. Teams don't show up in certain games. And I think to to your point, I guess, back against the wall, when it comes to individual personnel, I, I think that there are certainly some upperclassmen on this team who should be in danger of losing, if not their starting role, uh, significant reps to freshmen or, or sophomores, if, if that's the case. Because how else are you going to push, I think, guys who – we're doing it last year or maybe have gotten complacent in the sense or thinking that they just have that role locked down. I, I don't know what the solution is, is, is necessarily, but I think that you will see some message sent because you're, you're going to have other losses, but more than two, you might as well kiss your college football playoff hopes a lot. Uh, goodbye. Uh, after watching Clemson, I'm ready to just go ahead and reserve their spot, but I don't know, you know, you can say who the, the other three teams will be. Um, and Alabama against Georgia this week, right? Yep. Um, so there you go. There's another unbeaten team that'll, that'll, that'll get a loss this year. Uh, and then Florida gets a chance to play Georgia later in the year. Uh, no way <clears throat> that you'll have an undefeated team unless its name is Clemson because uh, they get to play that nice, nice, cushy ACC schedule and then, you know, head into uh, into the playoff. But I think there's it, – it'll be really interesting. I. I didn't like Dan Mullen saying, you know, it's tough, you know, this 10-game SEC schedule. Yeah, cool. You, you've only played three SEC games. And yep. <laughs> how many times do you do that every year? Every single season you play three SEC games in a row. So that's not an excuse. Now, when we get down into week seven, eight, nine, ten, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll see, you know, who's the least bloody and bruised by the end of that um, and, you know, who's limping into or if somebody is limping into uh, Atlanta for that game. But right now – you're still in the beginning of the season. I know it's a tough stretch to play these SC games, but you play an eight game SC schedule every year as it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the players were kind of pushing that too. So that lets me think behind the scenes that was, or in the post game uh, team meeting, right in, in the locker room, whatever that may have uh, been pushed a little bit. It's, hey, you got 10 SEC games. You know, we knew it was going to be tough, but yeah, as you said, Nick, it, it was, it was only the third and, and you're better than Texas A&M and, and you went out there and lost that game. Yeah. Uh, last couple that's ones the, that's here. The other thing too, that's the other thing yeah. too. Just going in real quick. We all, I think, I don't think anyone picked, you know, we had a Texas A&M writer on our podcast on Wednesday and he picked Florida to win. I think what, what makes it worse is that Florida is a better team on paper and even on the field than Texas A&M. And that's what makes it worse. You lost that. That's what makes it sting more. You lost to a team that you should be a team that you were better than. Does it suck losing to Georgia? Yeah, but Georgia's a really good team. Would it suck if Florida played Alabama and lost? Yeah, but that's a really good team. Florida didn't lose to a really good team on Saturday, and that and makes it may, worse, I think. And you make Kellamon look better than he's ever looked, by the way. And, yeah. And, and, he's, and he's average. And what makes yeah, it even worse, Spiller, I know one of, has guys, Heisman. one of you guys mentioned Kadarius Tony. that game being wasted. Nick, I know this had to make you feel a little sick that Evan McPherson's 53-yard field goal that looks like it would have been good from 60 was ultimately wasted in that game. I mean, maybe if they convert that into seven instead of three, Florida ultimately wins that game. But how can you knock getting that 60-yarder? It looked good from 60 to me, but another thing wasted. 
Yep. Uh, last couple of thoughts that's kind of along the same lines here, and then we'll wrap it up here. Alex Shepard, good friend Alex Shepard says, you know, kind of going back to the part where this is the most ticked off as I think the fan base has been in, in, in relation to disappointed in past losses. He goes, when we lost to Kentucky going back to 2018, when we lost to Kentucky, it was new coach, will we get better excuses? When we lost to LSU in Georgia last year, it was we're closing the talent gap. A loss like this is frustrating because it doesn't have a future excuse. Uh, Stephen Kyle says that's fair. Don't really know. Didn't really know what we had when we lost to Kentucky. Georgia that year was expected. Missouri, the team was reeling. LSU last year felt good about the rest of the season. Georgia just a few plays away, but not quite there. No excuse in this one. So you know you kind of you get it. You know Florida's a, a better team. You had college football college football playoff aspirations. And you lose to a team like Texas A&M there. So, guys, yeah, quickly, we will look. Uh, this is what happened yesterday uh, around the SEC. Big upset, uh, of course. Missouri beats LSU 45-41. LSU's uh, the next opponent coming to the swamp here uh, this coming up week, a reeling LSU team. Hopefully they can't rally the troops there And, and when they come into the swamp there. Big, big win uh, for Eli Drinkowitz there at uh, Missouri. South Carolina rebounds pretty good, 41-7. to uh, you know, Vanderbilt played Texas A&M close uh, a couple weeks ago, and then South Carolina comes just a couple weeks later and blows the door off of Vanderbilt, 41-7. Tennessee hung tough for a little while, uh, with winning at halftime versus Georgia, and then Georgia's defense just completely obliterates Tennessee in the second half of that game. 44-21, Georgia beats uh, Tennessee. Arkansas got screwed, uh, by the way. Uh, Bo Nix, that was a fumble <laughs> uh, there. Arkansas should have won that game, should have beat Auburn, but Auburn – Gets the official win, 30-28 to 28 there. Shootout in Oxford was fun to watch, 63-48 to 48 Alabama over Ole Miss. And then Mike Leach, after beating and marching up and down the field versus LSU week one, doesn't even put a touchdown on the board versus Kentucky as Kentucky beats Mississippi State 24-2. Guys, anything uh, catch your eye there through the SEC yesterday? Uh, LSU Arkansas. has to be really bad. LSU has to be really bad. <laughs> LSU, I mean, LSU is really bad. I mean, we, I don't, I, I so it, I kind of like stuck up for them in the beginning of the year. People are like, why is LSU ranked? I'm like, where do, where do you rank the defending national champion? I, I, they're not the defending national champion. They're just wearing the same uniforms that that team did. But like, I didn't know where you, where you can't, would you, do you not rank right. the number, like the, the team that won the championship last year coming pre preseason? But, like, that's not the same team that won it last year. Nobody came back. Only Edo came back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. Arkansas, who hadn't won an SEC game in 21 contests, should have won two in a row. So that was a big takeaway to me. They were, they were, Arkansas was robbed. They were robbed. They were robbed, absolutely. And I think that if anyone is more upset, though, than Florida fans, it has to be Mississippi State fans only because – they got sold fool's gold in that first game against LSU. <laughs> They're sitting there thinking, oh, we're about to win seven-plus games. The air raid is back. And and Mike Leach was feeling good. He was doing his traditional Mike Leach antics, playing the air raid noise and just saying things that just do not make sense whatsoever in press conferences. And that stuff is going to get really, really, really old when you're only scoring two points. And then when you keep losing down the stretch, especially, you know, I had said last week that Auburn fans, I think we're going to be feeling pretty bad as well. You know, Joey Gatewood's first game with Kentucky went pretty well. I, I'm still not convinced Bo Nix is a good SEC quarterback, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I think by the end of the season, we're going to be sitting here and saying that Joey Gatewood uh, may be a better one than he is. 
Yep, big week coming up. Georgia, Alabama, Florida, LSU. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit more answers uh, this coming up week there. But, uh, yep, that was uh, the results there uh, for the SEC. Just no defense, guys. <laughs> and a league built on, built on it for years. Uh, no uh, no, no defense uh, for, for the most part. Georgia, of course, has always had it. Kentucky showed up yesterday. But, yeah, uh, overall, uh, a lack of defense in the league. Uh, yeah, rankings, nine in the coaches fall for the Gators. That's where they fall, 10 in the AP. Still ahead of Texas A&M in both of those. So it makes sense of that if you want to. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'll, uh, that's, that's, that's a whole nother conversation. But, guys, uh, thanks so much. Uh, Nick, what you got coming up at Gator Country? You're on mute, Nick. You're on mute. You're on mute. <laughs> Back. Uh, we'll have stories and updates all week. Uh, I'm actually happy, like, not to travel. I've had some poor planning on, on my flights. So, looking forward to just staying at home, watching a game in the swamp. Um, I feel really good about Florida being able to beat LSU this week, and that'll make some people feel better. It's not it's not the same LSU team, but it's still that purple and gold, and they still have the Tigers on the helmet. So, uh, it'll feel good beating LSU. Um, and I, I actually won't be on the show. If they lose to LSU, I'm I'm – opting out of the season i will not be here i will not be here next sunday if we lose dallas here <laughs> graham Gainesville oh. Sun, what you guys got going on come on nick you don't want that smoke you know i think that absolutely no. uh i think that florida like i just said i think that they will have a bounce back game against lsu i think that that team like you guys said missing aranda missing everybody under the sun ed orgeron is the only one left he's like uh will smith fresh prince in there with an empty cupboard empty house. I, you know, I, I don't know how the defense will perform because I do think Miles Brennan is a good quarterback. They still have a good offensive line, but you have to play as if you're, I guess, the 0-4 Falcons. And as if you're coach, you're playing for your coach, your backs are against the wall, even though that didn't work out so well for them today, you would think that this is a test to bounce back. If, if you cannot, if you cannot establish a, a pass rush, get some sacks, force some turnovers against this LSU team, I think it certainly will be even more concerning despite the outcome of that game moving forward. Uh, but, I, but I'm looking forward to some personnel decisions to come this week. We'll have it all on Gatorsports.com. I'll have a, a feature, a lot of radio coming up. You never know. My pleasure to be here with you guys. And uh, I will not opt out <laughs> if LSU does win. I will take a double heat for both of us. I'll, I'll drag Nick here. Don't worry. But that, I don't think that's going to happen. Nah, I don't think so either. But good stuff, guys. Good stuff. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Tough talking about a loss for for the fans out there, uh, of course. But got to be done. Got to be done. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, we won't have to talk about the uh, anymore uh, for the rest of this season. But for Nick and Graham, I'm David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>